Uh, we think of those, again, who are not able to be with us because of various colds and sicknesses going around right now, as it is that time of the year. We pray that you would be with them, comfort them, bring them your healing, let them know that they're thought of and loved here by their church family. We miss them, and uh, we know that we're all worshiping together in the Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. In this world where seemingly anything goes, and there are so many competing philosophies and ideologies that we have your word, we may need to do some digging to find out the answer to a question or a certain dilemma or a certain sin that is treated as perfectly fine by this unbelieving and dark world, but that truth is always there. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving this as our foundation to base our lives on, so that to be our compass, so that we don't need to be tossed to and fro. We can always turn to your word, and in it are the words of life and power. We thank you for everything you've given to us through your son, through our salvation, because of him, and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Every year, there's a study done by a group called Internations, and the one from this past year, referenced by Forbes, gave the top 49 best places to live in the world, according to people who move there from other countries. There were some interesting findings from 2023. The top three cities in the world to live, based on categories like quality of life, weather, job environment, friendliness, etc., were all cities in Spain. Top three were all cities in Spain, Malaga, Alicante, and Valencia. So if that interests you, you need to start brushing up on your Spanish and develop an infinity for tapas and, I don't know, bullfighting maybe. <laughs> The last three in the list are a little surprising. Coming in at 47 and 48 were Milan, Italy, and Rome, Italy. And coming in at dead last was Vancouver, Canada, where those who move there say, are the, say they are the unhappiest. Probably not something Vancouver wants to put on a billboard. And maybe the most surprising or perhaps most unsurprising was that there were no American cities in the top 20. <clears throat> New York City, normally on that top 20 list, dropped down to number 39 last year. And Miami, while normally being included on the list at all, didn't even make the list of 49 in 2023. Now, I could make a joke that it's because of their NFL team, but I'm above that, so I'm not going to do that. In our passage this morning, Jesus makes a reference to not the best place we could live here on this earth, but who is the best one to make a home and live within us. We'll see how he flashes that out a little bit more this morning and what gigantic impact that makes on our lives. And like I said previously, I know we took a bit of a break from our Gospel of John series over the course of Christmas and the beginning of the new year. But if you remember where this passage is nestled in here, 
This is a continuation of Jesus' words to his disciples as they are seated around the table. They're observing Jesus' last Passover with them at. The last time we were in John, I mentioned how the disciples had been given quite a bit of heavy and dark information. That he would be physically leaving them soon. Satan would directly be targeting each and every one of them. That Peter would deny knowing Jesus three times. And that one of them would even betray Jesus unto a horrific death. That was quite the bleak and hopeless picture that Jesus had painted for them. But Jesus then injected an eternally sized portion of hope into their lives. In verse 18, Jesus revealed to them that even though he would be physically leaving them soon, he would not leave them as orphans in the world, but would be giving them the Holy Spirit, which in verse 16 would be given to them forever. In the Old Testament, as we looked at before, the Holy Spirit was given temporarily for a certain purpose and to give certain prophetic messages to write down, but he did not fill people on a permanent basis, much less make an abode, make a home in them. Not only that, but in this morning's passage, Jesus reveals the even greater revelation of what the permanent indwelling of his disciples by the Holy Spirit would really be. Before we get into that greater revelation, which continues in us as Jesus' disciples today, let's look at the question by another one of Jesus' disciples in this original context, which directly precipitates Jesus' revelation. Jesus had just finished up what he was saying about the permanent gift of the Holy Spirit by saying this. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him. And of course we know that this, the, all these he's and him's is general to mean humanity, so it includes both men and women. We know from the rest of the context of Scripture that our salvation and entrance into heaven is only based on God's grace on us, opening our spiritual eyes to see the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection, and enabling us through the Holy Spirit to repent, love, and take Jesus as our Savior and King. But as Jesus says in John 14, 21, that love is then shown by a continual spiritual growth and empowerment by the Holy Spirit to keep and follow God's commands for righteous living found throughout his word. See, a lot of people are walking around this world today thinking full well that they can love Jesus or even just have a simple belief in him without loving his word and without keeping and following his word. And loving his word includes loving and seeking to obey his commandments. Jesus already said that in verse 15. This should come as no surprise to us. If you love me, 
Very simple and straightforward. You will keep my commandments. You can't have one without the other. When we covered that verse, we saw that it, it, it included foundationally God the Father's commandment through Jesus that people must put their faith in Jesus for their salvation, not themselves, nor how well they thought they could follow the Jewish law. But we also saw how that included all the laws from the Mosaic law connected to righteous living, especially those reiterated in the New Testament. Those included, but not, but not at all exhaustive, all those laws for righteous living connected to stealing, lying, murder, both inside and outside the womb, adultery, covetousness, honoring father and mother, pagan, demonic uh, worship practices, and sexual immorality, including any and all sexual relationships, practices, orientations, identities, and so-called genders outside of God's creation of biological male and female and his marriage design and blueprint of one biological male and one biological female. Those also included what showing love towards God and towards others actually looked like in a practical, everyday way. Loving by serving. Serving God and serving others. We saw when we covered that verse, verse 15, that love for Jesus is not this prevailing false gospel of our culture today, that one must just love everyone and accept whatever way they live their lives is perfectly fine with no absolute truth where the cardinal sin is judging anyone or gasp, offending anyone with your beliefs or opinion. None of that is biblical. None of it. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. None of that is biblical. And as we see in verse 15 and throughout Scripture, it's the opposite. Love for Jesus and God the Father is shown in a living and growing faith of seeking to abide by God's commands for righteous living found throughout his word. After all, the Apostle Paul says that the entire point of God predestining us as believers in Jesus is to be made more and more into the likeness of Jesus. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Not just, I can go on and live my life the way that I want to from now on. You have been predestined by God to be saved by Jesus to become conformed to the image of his son. I'm sorry, you can't have it any other way. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So it should come as no surprise to us then that Jesus simply reiterates this truth in the verse right before this morning's passage. Again, the one who keeps my commandments who has my commandments and keeps them, is the one who loves me. That's what Jesus is looking at. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him or her, and will reveal myself to him or her. Now let's follow the logical flow of this verse. The one who truly seeks to obey and follow God's commands for righteous living 
through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, is the one who truly shows that they actually love Jesus. Not just pay him lip service, not just toss up a prayer when they're in trouble. That's the fruit of faith by God's grace in predestining someone to be given that faith in order to be made into the likeness of his son. Next, in the logical flow of verse 21, is that the person who loves Jesus by faith and lives that out by seeking to obey his commands for righteous living will then be loved by God the Father, and Jesus will reveal himself to that person. I'm not making any of this up. I'm just pulling this directly from this verse here. This is how crucial, crucial, Seeking to show our love for Jesus by obeying his commands is to our faith. It's not optional. It's not something we add to it. This is how we show Jesus we love him. The Apostle James reiterates this by putting it this way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, having that understanding of how crucial showing love for God the Father and God the Son by following his commands for righteous living by the power of the Holy Spirit is, that directly helps us to understand the first verse of this morning's passage. Now you understand why I spent so much time on that to lay this foundation before we resume and come back to uh, the Gospel of John now. Jesus just ended what he was saying was that he would only reveal himself to the ones who had faith in him and showed their love for him by the way they lived for him as king. He just got done saying that in verse 21. But that was entirely lost on at least one of the disciples there that evening. If you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be picking up in verse 22. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John 14 verse 22 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. John 14, picking up in verse 22, we read, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world. According to biblical scholarship, this is the only mention of a Judas who wasn't Judas Iscariot as one of Jesus' original twelve in the New Testament. What's going on here? As such, the theory is that this Judas, only referenced here as that name in the Gospel of John, is the same man as Thaddeus, in the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know of another instance that that also happened when the man named, known as Nathaniel in the gospel of John is most likely one and the same as Bartholomew in the synoptic gospels. So that's, we already see evidence of that. So Judas Thaddeus doesn't get why Jesus would reveal himself to some people and not to the rest of the world. Judas Thaddeus was still thinking in human terms and thought that Jesus would and should be setting up his earthly kingdom then, which would have been a public spectacle that everyone would have seen. So he's confused here. 
how are you only revealing yourself to some and not to the whole world? If you're setting up your earthly kingdom, wouldn't the whole world see that? Again, it was the same confusion of what people expected of Jesus during his first advent and what the purpose of his first advent really was. It's along the same lines as the same confusion that persists today and what people expect of Jesus or think is good enough for faith and entrance into heaven. A lot of people think that Jesus came just to be a social worker and to exact social justice in the world. A lot of people think, isn't it enough to believe in just some kind of higher power? Or isn't it enough to just believe in God? Or isn't it enough to just believe in Jesus and believe that he died for our sins? Or isn't it enough to just believe in something and just try to be a good person? Shouldn't that be enough to automatically get you into heaven? The answer to all of these questions and similar ones is a resounding no. Firstly, Jesus already declared this just a few minutes before this morning's passage. I am the way. The truth and the life. No one, no matter how good they think they are, no matter what kind of higher power they believe in, no one comes to the Father except through me. Secondly, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It starts with God's grace as a gift, not by anything we can earn or work for, leading us to put our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, and his death and resurrection being the only means of us being reconciled to most holy God through our repentance of our sin. Then, as we've gone over and over this morning, that faith is shown by a daily seeking to obey God's commands for righteous living found throughout his word. And that's exactly what Jesus follows up with towards Judas Thaddeus in verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There it is again. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. The purpose of Jesus' first advent was not to set up his earthly kingdom yet. The purpose of his first advent was to win what was required to save humanity from their sin. And that, and, and that salvation through God's grace calling us to faith is directly tied to us keeping his word. Verse 23 sounds eerily similar to what we already read in verses 15 and 21, which we covered a lot already this morning, doesn't it? That's on purpose. That's on purpose. If anyone loves me, Jesus says in verse 23, he will keep my word, including the commandments found in it. When someone repents of their sin, it's not just enough to take Jesus as the Savior from that sin. 
Whenever somebody says, yeah, I accepted the Lord, I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I always wait to see if they follow that up with something else. It's not enough to just take Jesus as the Savior from that sin. As we see throughout the rest of, of Scripture, faith in Jesus also requires a commitment to him as Lord and King. It's not enough to just take Jesus as the Savior of your sin. You must also take him and make him the king of your life for the rest of your days. And what that means, simply, is serving and obeying him. How do we obey him as king? Exactly what Jesus has already laid out clearly for us. By obeying his commands already clearly given in his word. <laughs> really stop and you push out all the noise and, and, and shouts and screams of the world, it's all really very simple and clear, isn't it? We just need to humble ourselves to see it and surrender everything about who we are to it. C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. The main problem with humanity is that they simply don't want to humble themselves. They simply don't want to repent of themselves and their sin and surrender to the simple and clear truth of God's word and what God requires of us. Not what we think God should require of us, what God clearly requires of us. Now again, it all comes back to God's grace. <clears throat> it's God's grace that has predestined those he will call through his Holy Spirit to put their faith in Jesus to do that. It's God's grace that sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to open our spiritual eyes and enable us to see who we truly are as hopeless sinners before the Holy Judge deserving of the hell that awaits us to repent of our sin, and to accept that Jesus paid our sin-death debt as our substitute, as our Savior, and to surrender the rest of our lives to living for him as Lord and King by showing our love and gratitude to him and keeping his word and the commands for righteous living included in it. It all has to do with God's grace over us. So it should come as no surprise then that the empowerment to even begin to live lives pleasing to him can only be attributed to his grace over us. Just as we're powerless to earn or achieve our own salvation, much less entrance into heaven on our own and please God, we're powerless to live to please him with our lives following our point of repentance and salvation on our own. And that's where the second part of verse 23 comes in here. Again, we will come to him and make our abode with him. Once God sees that one not only seeks Jesus for their salvation, but sees a surrender to live for him as king by a, by a commitment to keep his word and commands, verse 23 reveals that both God the Father and God the Son 
will make their abode or their home within that person. Wow! What? That had never before in the entire history of the world been a remote possibility, much less a reality. But this is truly an indescribable treasure that is only given to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus in faith by God's grace. We'll come back to this in a second. Next, Jesus reiterates the opposite of what he's been saying to drive home the point of what he's been talking about all this time. Verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. If one loves Jesus, he or she will show that love by keeping his word and his commandments. After all, as Jesus once again reiterates in the second half of verse 24, all he's been saying and teaching and declaring, and he said this multiple times throughout the Gospel of John, is not originating from him, but is coming straight from and directly from God the Father. And those words carry the Father's final authority. So oppositely, if one does not seek to keep God's word and his commands in it, he or she does not truly love Jesus and therefore are not saved by him. It's the cold, hard truth, but it's the truth nonetheless. I'm going to say it again. As we just read in verse 24, oppositely, if one does not seek to keep God's word and his commands included in it, he or she does not truly love Jesus and are therefore not saved by him. That is how crucial showing our love by surrendering our lives to Jesus as King and Lord and following his commands is. That's huge, isn't it? That's that's. Crucial. That's everything. There are many, many people out there who truly believe that one can be a Christian and can even be saved from their sin and look forward to heaven but not believe the Bible is God's word. There are many, many, far too many people out there that truly believe that. They believe that it's just a book written by men doesn't need to be taken as the final authority for faith in life, and can either have verses cherry-picked out of it, horribly interpreted, or just tossed entirely out the window. But let these words from Jesus himself in verse 24 be a stone-cold warning to anyone who believes that. If you're sitting here today, you're watching this online later, or you come across this at some point in the future, and that's what you believe, that you can be a Christian, you can be saved from your sin, you can look forward to heaven, but not believe the Bible is God's word, listen to Jesus' stone-cold warning in verse 24. You are no different than someone who rejects or mocks Jesus their whole lives 
and according to God's own word here, have nothing but the same fate of the lake of fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity to look forward to that they have to look forward to. Hard pill to swallow, but that is the stone cold truth from God himself. And we've all been warned. Now, let's go back to those who do love Jesus and do seek to live that out by keeping his word and commands. Jesus says that both he and God the Father will make their abode, will make their home with them. This is both a reference to the future and to the here and now. This will ultimately be fulfilled in the new heaven and new earth for all those who loved Jesus and sought to keep his word and commands. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I think it goes without saying that I know we're all greatly looking forward to that day. Among others, God has promised to us in the future. Amen. But just like with other references we have to the Holy Spirit, for instance, how all the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians are glimpses at our future redemption and glorification, God dwelling among his people in Revelation 21 is glimpsed at through whom Jesus had already revealed would be given to his followers. When he said earlier in this chapter, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth, is the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So God the Son and God the Father make their abode or home with and take in an immediate context with these verses we just read within us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can know this because Jesus immediately follows up the part of him and the Father making their home to Jesus' followers with the exact same reference to this same spirit of truth he refers to in verse 17 with verses 25 through 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. At that point that Jesus is speaking these words, he is still abiding with or vitally connected to his disciples. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, given by both God the Father and God the Son, as referenced in verse 26, 
will teach them what they need to know and will bring back to their minds all that Jesus had said to them. So taken all together in a very real way, the Holy Spirit is not just one person of the Trinity indwelling us, but what is it? It's a revelation of all three members of the Trinity making a home within us. In fact, as one biblical scholar notes, Matthew 10.20 refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of the Father, and 1 Peter 1.11 refers to Him as the Spirit of the Son. That just takes your breath away, doesn't it? We've indeed been given the treasure of Almighty God making a home within us. It almost dare I say, makes you want to make some changes in how you treat your body and what you do with it as the temple of this revelation of all three members of the Trinity, doesn't it? Doesn't it? This is also why in our darkest of times when we're just racked with emotional and spiritual heartache and pain, and we have no idea what we should even pray for, we can rest assured with this truth. Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you see that unity between all three members of the Trinity here? None of this is to negate the distinctiveness of the three persons of the Trinity. I want to make that very clear as well, which is also taught in Scripture. But what this is, is to connect the unity of the oneness of the three persons of the Trinity. Both are equally true. Three distinct persons as one. It'll be something we'll never be able to fully wrap our minds around as limited and fallen human beings. The three persons of the Trinity are so unified that they are all revealed in the indwelling Holy Spirit in us, and are therefore unified in purpose and communication in that indwelling of and making a home within us. Everybody still with me? Okay. Because of the unity of the three distinct persons, they all work together to open our spiritual eyes to understand his word and empower us to live it out as continued fulfillment of what we just read in verse 26. After all, we've read time and time again that God the Father's words were written down through the Holy Spirit guiding the prophets of the Old Testament and apostles of the New Testament. We've also read time and time again that God the Son 
only spoke what the Father told him to. And Jesus, in verse 26, is saying that the Holy Spirit would bring those words back to the disciples' minds and to open their spiritual eyes to understand them. It all goes hand in hand. And that very same truth continues today. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand the Word of God and is the one to enable us through His power and strength to actually live it out, to actually be able to come anywhere close to keeping the commands of God's Word, as Jesus says. Again, we are powerless on our own to keep, obey, and live out God's words and its commands. It's only through the indwelling Holy Spirit's power that we can live lives pleasing to our King. Now there's one last point in this passage, and this is cool. So if you weren't paying attention up to this point, start paying attention. One biblical scholar has pointed out that the word used here in the Greek for abode or home is the same word used in John 14 too for dwelling places or rooms. In my father's house, there are many rooms. The same word, abode, home. If that were not so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And right here, with the, with, with the word abode here in our passage this morning and John 14, 2, are the only two verses and the only two places in the entire New Testament that use that word. So, let's put that all together. The revelation of all three members of the Trinity makes a heavenly home within us as followers of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, gifting us the faith for our salvation found only in the Son of God, according to God the Father's plan, and empowering us to understand and live out the Word of God with the Son of God as King, which in and of himself is the very seal who preserves and protects us for the heavenly home that God the Son is preparing for us in God the Father's household. You see that? Do you once again see the unity of all three persons of the Trinity? There's that unity of the distinct persons of the Trinitarian Godhead, all intertwined, and it all comes full circle. He makes a heavenly home within us to seal us for the heavenly home that he's preparing for us. It all comes full circle. When the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be re revealed with him in glory. When Paul writes that to the Colossian church, these are the things, what we just talked about, all this time, these are the things we should and must be focused on with our minds and our bodies, not the things of this world. Set your minds and your bodies on things above where Christ is seated, not on the things of this world. 
having an eternal perspective on everything we go through in this life. God's word is very clear. Our life on this earth is, that's it. Your life, from the moment you were born to the moment you die, that was it, right there. All that was included in that puff of breath is what is preparing you for, for eternity. So have that eternal mindset in the here and now. Because eternity is a long time, brothers and sisters. Much, much longer than a puff of breath in this world. So set your mind on things above. Set your mind on where Christ is seated, not on things of this world. This is passing away. This is going to be destroyed by fire. Don't worry about anything going on in this world. Your soul has been saved. You've been saved for the next world. The understanding of this truth gives us such hope and such treasure. When we're facing intense temptations or spiritual warfare or debilitating depression or anxiety or fear or crushing heartbreak or facing a financial hardship or overcoming sins and addictions or being led to believe lies from this world, or dealing with a difficult person, we have all three eternal members of the Trinitarian God fighting for us in unity through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remember that. We have the eternal power and presence of Almighty God having made a home within us. We have the spirit of truth helping us to understand God's word and giving us the power to live it out. And we have the revelation of all three members of the Trinitarian Godhead keeping us in the palm of his hand, protecting and providing for us until the day he either calls our soul home or he comes back for us. Surrender yourself fully to the Holy Spirit, transforming you and filling you with all the joy, peace, and hope of that truth. All of what we talked about today is wrapped up in Paul's words to the Roman church. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a deep revelation of your truth in your word. That when we come to you in repentance, we take you at as not just the Savior of our sins, but make you the King over the rest of our lives. That when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, he is the revelation of all three members of the Godhead. Lord, I pray that we would be filled, abound in all that hope and joy and peace as we just read about in Romans 15. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that we would rely fully and completely on your power, opening our spiritual eyes to understand your word and your power to actually live it out. Your power to overcome sins and addictions and fear and anxiety and depression and heartbreak and pain. Giving it all over to you 
knowing that all three members of the Trinity are fighting every single one of those battles right alongside of us and even within us. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen.